Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, I'm here with Dr. Smith, and we're going to introduce to you a wonderful sermon by Dr. Crawford Loritz. He's the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. This sermon was preached right here at Beeson Divinity School in a pastor's conference in the year 2002. Tell us what we're going to hear, Dr. Smith. Dr. Loritz is a preacher's preacher, Dean George. His delivery is passionate. He's convicted about the text. He sounds a lot like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Mm. pleading like Jesus, who pleads, O Jerusalem, etc. He's pleading for preachers to return to sound doctrine, to stop apologizing for truth, etc. He is giving us, I think, a very arresting illustration that is an integration of, of the picture holding the sermon together, of being led uh, by one who can see, even though those who follow that individual uh, are uh, is sightless and cannot see. He's both a priest and a prophet here. Mm. He's a priest who absolutely comforts the afflicted, preachers who are at the pastor school mm-hmm. ready to give up. But he's a prophet who is afflicting the comfortable, self-reliant preachers, lazy preachers, preachers who take and put marketing techniques over proclaiming the gospel of the blood of Jesus Christ. He does research into the background of why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. He does all of those things, but he turns the ink of the text, Dean George, Mm. into the blood of the minister's lives so that those who attend can identify with what he's saying. Three observations basically should be watched for. Number one, he says there is the pillar of the soldier's attitude, and then the aura, and then the authority. So attitude, aura, and authority serve as the spine that holds the pre- the uh, sermon together. His emphasis are alliterated, but they come out of the text. Mm-hmm. So it's not just something that sounds good. It's not it's contrived. It's, not at all. based on the exegesis that he's done. 100% yeah. right. The message is practical, and he wants to challenge the preacher who is a preacher orator from the Bible, not to become an actor to get greater acceptance and increased remuneration for what he may do or she may do in the pulpit. This is the message that closes with preachers returning to originality and authenticity and not that which is contrived. A sermon with priestly passion with a prophetic edge. Absolutely. Dr. Crawford Loritz, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, is preaching at Beeson Divinity School in the year 2002. Let's take a listen. I do have a word that God's laid on my heart when I thought about this time some months ago, interacted with those who have put this together. Uh, the Lord laid this passage on my heart and mind, and I, I want to talk a few minutes tonight about a soldier's triumph, a soldier's triumph. I would invite you, if you'd be so kind, as to bow your head with me for a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for the grace of God. We thank you for who you are. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have laid their lives down to say yes to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
God, you know, part of my frustration this evening is that I don't know the stress, struggle or strain that my brothers and sisters are laboring under. I don't know what thoughts are bombarding their minds. I don't know what call they got on their cell phones before they came in here. I don't know, Father, uh, the deep waters that they may be navigating through right now. But Lord, we know that you know. You sit high and you look low. You're not taking maylots over our predicament. You're sovereign. You're in control. So, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you'll draw holy parentheses around our wandering thoughts tonight. Give us the ability to listen and to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us. Father, I've, I've long since realized that I don't have anything to tell anybody that will change anyone's life. I can't even change my own. Nobody needs to hear my illustrations or stories. But we do need to hear everything you have to say tonight. So, Father, we pray that we'll park it, sit back, and listen to what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives. I'm acutely aware of the fact that any, any contact with your word and with truth is a call to transformation. So change us tonight, we pray. We trust you to bless what you promised to bless, and that is your book. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me, if you'd be so kind, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Just leave it open for a while. Several months ago, I was flying from Atlanta up to Chicago. I fly and travel a great deal. In all my travels, though, I never saw something quite like this. While I was on the plane, uh, just sitting there waiting for us to, uh, them to close the front door and to back up and get out into the active runway, onto the plane comes about 15 or 16 teenagers. Well, what was different about this group, though, is that they were all blind. But interspersed in the group, about every fourth or fifth teenager, there was a sighted friend. And they boarded the plane with their hands on each other's shoulder. The sighted friend was leading the way. And as they would get to their seats, he would take one of them, take their hands off and say, move over to the next seat. The sighted friend guided them. You know, we can't see where we're going unless our hands or on the shoulders of our sighted friend. Part of my problem today is the incredible competence that we have gained in evangelical circles. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not celebrating ignorance or incompetence. We're to study to show ourselves approved. I believe in academic excellence, and I believe a call to preach is a call to prepare. There's no, nothing spiritual about being willfully stupid and ignorant. But there is a problem that I see in this industry phase of Christianity that we're living in today. It is a tug of war. And the problem is, is that the longer we serve the Lord, the more self-reliant we become. Our tendency is to believe, although we don't articulate, that somehow or another my experience base, my understanding, my knowledge, my, my how-to is the essence of change and impact. 
And so although we know right doctrine and we know right truth and theologically we're sound and we're proficient in our ability to articulate truth, we know process, we know how to marry people, bury people, counsel people. We, we, we know the appropriate right thing to say. There's very little victory and power in our churches. The problem is that somewhere along the way, we've taken our hands off the shoulders of our sighted friend. Victory in the Christian life is directly related to surrender and intimacy. There cannot be triumph in our personal lives if we're not personally walking close to the one who leads us in triumph. So I want us to push the rewind button and I want to call us back to some very fundamental, basic, one-on-one stuff in terms of ministry. The Apostle Paul picks up his pen and you all know why he wrote the letter, the second letter to the church, church at Corinth. Some suggest that this really is a third letter. I don't want to get into that debate. But he wrote what we have uh, uh, as the second letter, the second epistle of Paul to the church at Corinth because there were those in the church who were railing against his apostolic authority. There are those who raise questions as to whether or not Paul was a legitimate apostle since he had not been a follower of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. And there are those who didn't want to change and so they just raised some interesting questions. They well, Paul, wait, 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 Paul, don't be telling me what to do. I, I don't know if you're legit. Well, Paul picks up his pen and particularly through the first uh, seven chapters, he directly speaks to this issue. We come to chapter two and that last paragraph of chapter two, beginning at verse 14, Paul peels back and allows the church at Corinth to look at his heart and to see the essence of his motivation for ministry. He talks about what gives him victory. In the broader context, Paul is saying that I'm not looking to you to affirm or confirm my calling. I'm not looking to you to tell me whether or not I am in the ministry for the right reason. My source of victory has to do with the one that I'm related to. And in this last paragraph, the Apostle Paul gives to us what really is the essence of a soldier's triumph. I'm not a very complicated preacher. I'm just a Bible thumper, to be honest with you. But I want to make three observations. There are three observations that I want to make, three pillars of a soldier's triumph. Three things that ought to affect us as we approach ministry. Number one, this text tells us that there is the attitude of triumph. Secondly, there is the aura of triumph. And thirdly, there is the authority of triumph. Paul begins this section by saying in verse 14, he lists the sights and he says, but thanks be to God who always, always leads us in His triumph in Christ. Thanks be to God who always, always leads us. Now get this, watch this, watch this in his triumph in Christ. 
He has not promised to bless your good ideas about ministry. He has not promised to bless my insights about what we ought to do. He did not say that, Crawford, I'm going to bless everything that you do. He says, no, thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ Jesus. A soldier's triumph begins with an attitude. It is a Holy Ghost attitude. We are victorious. There are too many of us who have been beaten down by the storms and winds of ministry. Some of you right here, if the truth were told, you are ready to quit. And God is saying to you, I am not going to change your circumstances until you change your attitude. It's not the people on your board that's pushing the buttons. It's not the hassles out there, but it's the way you're looking at ministry. I'm not going to change the environment until your attitude changes. You've got to come with this mindset that God has called me not to just get by. He's not called me just to have a nice ministry. He has called me to triumph. Thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul is playing on the imagery of the Roman soldiers who used to come into the Colosseum. Uh, my research indicates what would happen as these soldiers would come back from battle. The way they would do this thing is that the captives would walk into the Colosseum first. They would be chained together or roped together. They would march through the streets of Rome on their way to the Colosseum. In the Colosseum, there would be thousands of people behind those that they have taken captive would be the captain's chariot. In the captain's chariot would be his immediate family riding behind them. And behind the captain's chariot would be those conquering soldiers. And they would come into the arena with this incredible vision of people applauding, saying, wonderful, wonderful, you made it in, you were victorious. Paul is saying that ought to be the vision that keeps us going. That Jesus Christ is leading us into triumph. That the victory has already been won. We're just down here cleaning up things. But he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We need to work on our attitudes. Our attitudes. Well, there's the attitude of triumph. But Paul says there's also the aura or the aroma of triumph. Now, this is a prophetic word for us today. And I want us to walk through this. Pay, pay close attention to the text. I'm reading from the New American Standard. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. Now, don't miss this. And manifests through us the sweet aroma of a knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Explanation verse 16. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. The Apostle Paul says this. 
we carry with us simultaneously both a scent and a smell, that we are sweet and sour at the same time, that through us is manifested a fragrance. It's an aroma among those who are being saved it is a sweet smell. It is a wonderful smell. It is a scent to be followed. But among those who are entrenched in their sin, who refuse to repent, that sweet-smelling aroma smells like embalming fluid. It is something to run from. There's an interesting implication to us. Now, I believe we ought to be as sensitive to our market as possible. I believe that we ought to have strategies that are as winsome as possible. But listen to me. Listen to me. Don't you ever adopt a strategy of outreach that so nullifies the essence of blood sacrifice on the cross and the horrendous nature of sin that people are not responding to Calvary, but they're responding to your marketing techniques. Sooner or later, people will have to come by a bloody cross. Sooner or later, people are going to have to be confronted with the stench of their sin. And to those who will respond, it is sweet. And yet to those who don't want to respond, it's a stench. And you've got to understand that. If you're in ministry holding up a popularity contest, you'll never triumph. You'll always be held hostage to the whims of others. There are some things that are just not for sale. The essence of our message is going to win some and repulse others. Be careful that you do not prostitute grace at the shrine of immediate response. Our research indicates Paul is playing out this theme of Roman soldiers coming back into the city. What would happen when these soldiers would come back from war? It was amazing. Picture this, if you will. They would come back into the city and my research indicates that there would be the temple doors would be open and incense would be burning. There would be garlands of flowers all over the place in celebration of the triumph. Now, if you were a soldier coming into the city of Rome, ah, that was a sweet smell of victory. But if you were one of those captives, that was the smell of funeral flowers. Your death. And through us is demonstrated, manifested, both a scent and a smell. My brothers and sisters, I don't know an awful lot, but one thing I have come to grips with. You will never be successful in ministry until you embrace that tension. Triumph is not cheap. Triumph is not compromise. That we carry with us the very nature of our message is both a scent and a smell. Well, there is the attitude of triumph. Thanks be to God who always 
leads us in his triumph in Christ. There is the aura or the aroma of triumph. Embrace the tension. Manifested from us is both a scent and a smell. Ah, but there is the authority of triumph. Ah, listen to what Paul says in verse 17. Paul contrasts the weightiness of his ministry to that of others. He says, for we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul underscores the fact that there are three pillars, three pillars upon which our authority rests. The first pillar is simply this. It rests upon integrity. Notice the expression, for we are not like many peddling, 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 peddling the word of God. There's a note in the margin that says corrupting the word of God. My, my research indicates that this is an interesting Greek word that was borrowed from a colloquial practice by some of the winemakers. In Corinth, they had this little hustle going. Uh, my research indicates that they had these little, what we would call kiosks, all around the city of Corinth. And in these kiosks, these winemakers would pass off, now get this, they would pass off cheap, diluted wine as the real thing. The wine had been compromised, and they had a nice little hustle going on. Paul uses that same expression, understanding that they would understand the implication. He said, we're not hustling the truth. We're not diluting content. We're not making this look like something that it really isn't. We're not putting a little water to it. We're not making it sound good so that we can have a crowd. No, 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 no. We're giving you the solid stuff. Don't ever allow anybody to cause you to back off of this book. You can be market sensitive. You can be relevant. You, 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 you can preach all different kinds of ways. You can frame the truth in different ways. You can be creative. You can do all kinds of illustration. But by the time the message is over, you better give them truth. People's lives will not be changed by my illustrations. People's lives will not be changed by my stories. People's lives will not be changed by my quotations. God has promised to anoint and bless this book. He's not called you to be a speaker. He's not called you to be a lecturer. He called you to be a preacher. My definition of preaching is that it is the New Testament gift of prophecy. It is a word from God for the people at an appointed time in history. Truth is the thing that transforms. The Holy Spirit has promised to empower truth. Don't dilute it. Don't do it. We're not like many diluting and corrupting truth. I am passionate about this. I am tired of us apologizing for what we believe. We're getting in our churches what we're preaching in our churches. A bunch of lightweight folks because they're hearing a lightweight message. Full of a bunch of slogans that mean nothing, but it's like, like bedtime fairy tales.
Shame on us. Some of us are just too lazy to study. It's easy to slap a few verses together and get a few illustrations, march into the pulpit and have everybody do this. This is the text. This is Bible here. We're not like many peddling. It's no hustle. We're not trying to get customers here. It's integrity. Please don't rape the integrity of truth. Uh, the authority of triumph rests upon integrity. Secondly, it rests upon sincerity. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, get this, but from sincerity, from sincerity. Ah, this is another interesting word study here. Now, we, we're familiar with the Latin etymology of the term, and without wax, uh, unpretentious. Um, but there was an interesting colloquial usage of this term in the common Greek language. It, it was colloquially used of Greek orators who later became actors. Interesting. During the time of Paul, one of the common um, ways in which people were entertained is that they would go right outside the agora, the marketplace, and there would be these orators there. Now, many of these young orators, and I'm going somewhere with this, many of these young orators began with sincere motives. They believed in the philosophies they were espousing. They believed what they were teaching, and they passionately presented it. Ah, but during the passing of time, people would cast coins. And whoever had the best delivery got the most money. And so what happened, they became, through the passage of time, more detached from their message and more focused on the remuneration. They were orators who later became actors. This was just a platform to line their pockets. They became disingenuous. There's a callousness that takes place with a career in ministry. Unless we continue to keep the fires burning in our bosom, unless we take significant breaks where we see our lives objectively, unless we continue to be involved in transformational personal ministry, sometimes we begin trusting in our approaches to ministry, in our ability to ministry, and we realize that if we give them a little bit of a, of a performance, they will pay me well, they will like me. And sooner or later, we don't mean it, we don't mean it, but we become a little bit disingenuous. Orators who become actors. Oh, I have to watch that in my own life. I speak a great deal. I just recorded 35 radio programs. We're on about 300 stations. Uh, yesterday and today I'm in the studio. And if I'm not careful, I can be very detached because I got to get it done, get it done, get it done. 
It's an article I got to write. Okay, well, it's due next week. Okay, just get it done. Get it done. You know what to say. You know the process. Story, inside application. Do it. And before you know it, you, you, you don't mean any harm. It doesn't come out of burden. But it comes out of process. And you wake up one morning and say, God, how did I get here? How did I get here? There's coldness in your heart and life. Your messages are canned, even though they're different. It's the same formula. Well, watch, watch that. That's an occupational hazard for all of us who deal with people ministry. You know how to smile. Fake sincerity. Oh, God bless you. Yeah, honey, God bless you. Next. Yeah, baby. Okay, fine. Good. God bless you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll see you. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Oh, Sarah, no, 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 no. We're not orators who become actors. There's the authority of triumph. Hmm. It, is, it is based upon integrity. It is based upon... Ah, look at this. Thirdly, it is based upon authenticity. He says, notice the emphatic, but contrast. We're, we're, we're not peddling, we're not diluting the message. We're not orators who become actors, but here's what we are. <laughs> but as from God, he says, I don't care what you say about me. You don't have to put me down as one of the apostles. It doesn't make any difference. But as from God, we speak in Christ, in the sight of God. Implication is this. Paul says, what I say carries the force of the original. Last year, my wife, uh, she served on a, a board in Atlanta called Women of Vision, wonderful organization, it's part of World Vision, and they uh, were raising money to help with a country that they had adopted, Honduras, and as well as some local projects for uh, 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 poor and disad uh, dis uh, disadvantaged folks, people at risk. And so they were having this uh, silent auction. I do some speaking for some of the pro teams there in Atlanta Braves. I know some of the players. So my wife said to me, honey, can you get one of the players, a couple of players, to, to uh, donate some stuff and sign it and we can auction it? So I went to several of them and they were glad to do that. One of them is uh, an outstanding hitter and uh, he signed it, signed it, he gave his bat and signed it, went to the auction. And uh, I was curious. I just... I was wondering how much this bat was going to go for because everybody knows who this guy is. So just before they announced things, I ran back over there and looked, and I couldn't believe the number of zeros behind the last bid. I said, this fellow's good, but he ain't that good. Uh, I whispered to my wife, do you know how much so-and-so's bat went for? 
You know why they paid that much for it? It was the original. It was the original. It wasn't a knockoff. It was the original. When you stand up to preach, God Almighty, listen. When you stand up to preach, make sure you have been on your face before God. When you stand behind this pulpit, make sure it is a word from God for the people. So that what you say carries with it the force of the original. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you'll help us to put our hands on our sighted friend, the Lord Jesus. Fill us with an attitude of victory and triumph. Help us to embrace the divine tension of both having a scent and a smell. And oh God, may we examine our hearts and our motives so that we are operating from divine authority with sincerity and integrity and authenticity. God, do your work through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.